listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water, where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, in case you're just visiting with us today, as you can tell, we're in the midst of a sermon series called Broken Heroes, and I was kind of looking at the schedule, and we got to the one for today, and I was like, Samson's lust. Hmm, interesting. And I look out at the congregation, and guess what? We've got about half of the people here are guests, so perfect timing for making everybody feel awkward, including myself, right? Get ready to get uncomfortable. Get ready to get awkward. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Of all the topics in the series, this is the one I've been dreading the most. Uh, today we're talking about lust, and I wrestled a lot with how to approach this one, right? Because like, I want to be direct and honest with you because the Bible addresses this subject very clearly again and again. And at the same time, I want to be sensitive because I know this is a mixed age group of people. So that's a fun tightrope to, to walk, and you're going to get to watch me crash and burn up here this morning. Um, but I, I really think it does a disservice if I don't preach about a topic that Scripture clearly does. So I'm not going to be explicit here, but we are going to touch on, not focus on, not make the central thing today, but we are going to touch on some sensitive subjects. So we're going to talk about things like sex and pornography. Those are going to be mentioned in the service today. Again, not central, but they will be touched on. So if you've got kids here, I get it. I've got kids too. I'm a dad. It's Father's Day. Uh, and if you feel the need to, you know, get outside and, and maybe use the, uh, go swing for a while, or if you're an adult and need to go in the back and just kind of cool off, that's fine too. Um, but I promise you I will not be offended uh, in either, either of those situations. So here's our text about Samson. And just for some context, Samson was one of the judges of Israel. Before Israel had these kings, they went through a period of the judges, kind of these temporary rulers. It was not a pretty period in Israel's history. And Samson was a judge, someone who, who ruled over them. And Samson had like this special physical strength, like Hulk-sized strength, and then some. So, I mean, the guy, you read the story of Samson, look at some of this artwork, it's just nuts. But these are the stories straight out of Scripture. Samson did some really crazy things. He killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. He tore a lion to pieces with his bare hands. Uh, he also did this crazy thing. This is my favorite. He caught 300 foxes somehow, tied their tails together, and he puts a torch between each set of tails, and then he sets the foxes loose into his enemy's field and just like burns the field that way. Bad way to get to know your neighbors. But Samson did this. Crazy stuff. And yet God specifically chose Samson to rule Israel. But Samson had his failings too, and one of those was lust. So I'm going to read our text this morning from the book of Judges, chapter 16. I'm going to start at verse 4, and I'll read through verse 22. And I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's word this morning. Judges 16, beginning at verse 4. After this, he, that is Samson, 
loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, all his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here today, Father, would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Every superhero has their kryptonite, and apparently Samson's was his hair, his luscious locks, were the secret to his strength. He was never supposed to cut his hair. That was part of his vow as a Nazarite. They couldn't touch touch dead bodies, they couldn't drink, and they couldn't cut their hair. 
and if you read the full story of Samson, you'll see that he already broken two of those by the time this comes around, and now he cuts his hair, and the third one is broken. And he's not doing this for virtuous reasons, right? He's not, Samson's not donating his hair to locks of love. This is all for a girl, all for a gal named Delilah. And Delilah wasn't Samson's first. Samson had a previous marriage, which did not end well, and he had relationships with at least one prostitute that we know of. So this isn't Samson's first rodeo. It's this pattern that plays out with him over and over again. He lusts after women who aren't his wife, and then he gives in to temptation. Lust is a, is a powerful, powerful thing. The word means inflamed emotion. It's this impulsive, erotic passion that can't be controlled. The Greek word for it actually means libido in particular cases. And this is what it is. It's an unquenchable fire that once you start it, it's like really, really hard to put out, right? Now, first off, let's be clear about something. I think this is really important. Human sexuality is a good thing. Sex is a gift from God given at the very beginning in the garden. So this desire that we have for a one flesh union with another human being is not a design flaw on God's part. There's nothing intrinsically sinful about wanting to have sex. In fact, this is how God wired us. Like from the beginning, we're supposed to want to. I mean, remember back to the garden, God gave Adam and Eve, we heard this, this read, he, ga- he gave Adam and Eve to one another and they were both naked and felt no shame. And what did God tell them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Best commandment ever. I don't know what their reactions were. But I, wanna, I imagine it would have been something like, all right, awesome, let's get started now. There's no shame in our sexuality. And if you don't believe me, just read through Song of Solomon. God's pretty clear. Your bodies are part of what it means to be made in my image. Sex is a gift and I want you to enjoy it. The reason I start out with a caveat like this is because I think it's important since that's how Scripture starts. It was good, and God saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. But it didn't stay good, did it? Love and lust are not the same as this comic we'll show you here. I thought this was important on on Father's Day in particular. Um, In Genesis 3, the fall happens, right? Sin enters the picture in our passions and our desires become corrupt. And here's what that means for us today. By default, we as human beings seek to maximize our own pleasure even at the expense of other people. Even at the expense of breaking God's laws. Here's the thing about sex. God designed it exclusively for the marriage bed. God never talks, and the Bible never talks about sex as a good thing in any context other than a monogamous, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. Okay? It's plain and simple. So, anything outside of that design is a sin. God's Word is clear on this. 1 Corinthians 7.2, Hebrews 13.4, Acts 15.2, and many, many others. And by the way, God, I think it it comes across this way sometimes, but God did not do this. He doesn't give us these laws or these rules to spoil our fun. God gives us these rules and regulations for our good, 
for our flourishing because he says, look, this is what love should look like as I have designed it. Is it specifically designed to exist within the context of a loving relationship, a committed relationship, blessed by God, right? So now, some of us might think with this prohibition against lust and adultery and things like that, you might think, okay, I never did the deed, so I'm good, right? Good to go. Check that one off the list. Well, is, even if you've never slept with anyone other than your wife or husband, Jesus has some words for us in Matthew 5, and they're very sobering words. This is Matthew 5, 27 through 28. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Right? Good. This, we know that. It's bad to commit adultery. But I say to you, in other words, he's going to amp up the requirements of the law, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm. That takes it up a few notches, doesn't it? You see, even if we don't actually do the deed, but we want to, we're still guilty. See, our thought life, that's where the real problem lies. It's not just about our external actions. It's about our, our hearts and our inward motivations and our, our desires. That's what God is after all the time, right? And, and this prohibition against lust then it includes a lot more than we think, okay? So this is how the Bible describes this particular sin. And we need to understand this. Sex before marriage is a sin. Adultery, cheating on your spouse is a sin. Flirting and fantasizing are sins. Pornography is a sin. And let me tell you before you carry me off and throw me off the cliff, um, I wrestled with whether to even use this word in a sermon, right? Like, can a pastor do that or not? Here's the thing. It's actually in the Bible. <laughs> the word porneia is the word that's used for sexual promiscuity. So if you're going to get mad at me, take your Bible and get mad at that first uh, would be my suggestion. So I'm not going to dwell on this one, but let me show you a couple of statistics, okay? Among non-Christians, 65% of men and 30% of women view pornography at least monthly, and here's the statistic for Christians. Let that sink in. This is a real problem, right? And when you layer in all of the shame and hiding and guilt that surrounds it, you have a recipe for spiritual despair. Because Satan will get in there, I guarantee it. Satan will get in there, he'll accuse you, tell you what a dirty, rotten sinner you are, that God could never love you, your wife or your husband could never love you if they knew about it. His lies are powerful, and when he sinks his teeth in, man, like a dog with a bone, right? He's not letting go. So how should we respond to lust? When Delilah whispers her sweet nothings in our ears, what should we do? Because there's a lot of options. We could just go with our impulses, 
not even fight it, just kind of go along with it. We know that grace doesn't give us permission to sin. We could ignore our failings, hide them, pretend they didn't happen, but then it just festers and grows and eats us up inside. Um, We could flagellate ourselves, maybe not physically, but beat ourselves raw and bloody emotionally like monks with whips for sins that Jesus has already atoned for. We could take a bootstraps theology approach. This is my word. I, I like to use that word for any sort of theology that says you can do it on your own. You can do it. You've got the power. You've got it within you. Just unlock that key and, and you can try really, really hard not to sin. But that approach relies on human willpower alone. And it's been said, I love this way of talking about human willpower. Human willpower is like a sputtery engine. Like an old sputtery engine. Like sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Right? So it can't be relied upon to give us consistent results. And it always gives out at some point. So lots of options. I'm going to give you the good one now. It's always the last one. Right? As a Christian... You can resist and confess. You can resist and you can confess. That's the Christian response that God calls us to. Here's what the Bible says, James 4, 7. says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is such a wonderful promise. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's His promise. That God is going to provide a way out. In every situation. And with sexual temptation, we resist by fleeing rather than fighting, which is different than many other sins, right? Like when temptation comes, you see this all over Scripture. What God urges us to do is run the other way. Don't fight it. Don't don't talk with it. Don't reason with it. Don't dwell on it. Just get out of there. Get out of that situation, away from that screen, away from that person, whatever it is. Get out of there. Flee. So that's the resisting piece. But then there's the confessing piece too. I mean, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. I see failure in your future. Not because you're particularly heinous or because I am, but because we're human and all have fallen short of the glory of God, not most of us. And also, if we stumble at just one point ever in our entire life, we're guilty of breaking all of it. It's not a matter of if, but when. So the real question is, and by the way, the way you answer this question will determine, or at least deeply affect, how your battle with lust goes. Here it is. Here's the real question. What will you do when failure happens? Will you hide it? 
ignore it, flagellate yourself, or confess it? Will you bring that to Jesus? And will you believe the promise that we've already read that whenever we confess, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but stick with me for a minute here. We're through most of the awkward stuff, by the way. Good job. When you... um, when we, I should say, when we get into the habit, and the more we get into the habit of regularly confessing our weakness, the more we will experience God's strength, which, as the Apostle Paul says, is made perfect in weakness. The more honest we are about our own sin, the more clearly we'll see our need for a Savior, and the closer we'll grow in our relationship with Jesus. And the closer to Jesus that we grow, the more He'll break us free of the bondage of our bad habits as He grows the fruit of the Spirit in us. One of which is self-control, by the way. God promises to give you self-control. Did you know that? One of the fruits of the Spirit. That is well within his ability. I'd put it this way, and this is just me summarizing, but the more, satisfied we, the more satisfied we are in God's love, the less we'll try to find love in other places. I found that to be true in, in my own life. But let me say this about confession, too. When you confess, don't just confess it to God. That's kind of the easy way out, to be honest. It's easy to, in your brain, just a being that you cannot physically see right in front of you. So I say this. You also need to find another Christian to confide in. You need someone you can talk to about your struggle. Someone you can, you can ask, hey, man, how's it going? What's working well? What's not? How can I pray for you? You've probably heard the term accountability partner, right? And I've had a number of these in my life, and it's really, really helpful. I'll be honest, though, I don't love the term accountability partner because we don't just need accountability partners. We need forgiveness partners, too. We don't just need someone to remind us of our failings, but we also need someone to remind us of God's forgiveness towards sinners, to remind us that because of Jesus, God, as Galen mentioned already, has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? A little bit? No. None. If you don't have this kind of person in your life, an accountability, a forgiveness partner, uh, my phone number is on the back of the bulletin. You know? It's part of what I'm here for. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to encourage you, not to condemn you, but to point you to Jesus because Jesus is always a friend of sinners.
And if you are here as a Christian today, here's what you need to understand. Here's what you need to know, okay? When God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees only the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the cross, Jesus took away all of our sin by wearing it Himself. He was treated as if He were an adulterer, a pornographer, and a cheater. He took the punishment we deserved. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become what? The righteousness of God. It's a two-way exchange. Our sins transferred to Him. His righteousness is transferred to us. And by faith, by believing this, all of his merits are ours. And those who believe can have peace with God. As the prophet Isaiah puts it, by his wounds we are healed. God can only heal us if we come into the light. So as we wrap this whole discussion up, when we drill down, lust at its core is just another form of idolatry in the end. It just is. It's seeking lasting love and fulfillment in something or someone other than God. See, in the heat of the moment, we see that person, that image, that video or whatever as a Savior who's going to rescue us from our boredom, our malaise, our stress. But the good news is that God has already provided a Savior, a much better Savior, who promises to supply every need. See, Jesus sets us free from the bondage and the enslavement of our heart's desires and replaces them with something better, reorienting that yearning towards something eternal, In the Apostle Paul's language, he sets us free from slavery to sin and makes us servants of righteousness. Righteousness not earned, but freely given. So as we wrap up our time together this morning, I encourage you to to say this verse together with me, to remind us of, of our identities in Christ. So please join with me. Just this short verse from Romans 6.18. You have been set free from sin and have become servants of righteousness. May we believe that. May we trust that. May we learn to live in that new identity. By God's grace. Amen. Next week, we'll continue our Broken Hero series by talking about something a little less awkward, uh, Thomas's doubt. And it would be great to see you back for that. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor KJ. O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.